thank you, Jonathan, Tim, Michaela, Bill, worship team. What a sweet time to just uh, slow down our week and to, to spend some time worshiping God. Amen? I love it. Well, welcome, and as David said during announcements, if this is your first time or two here, we definitely welcome you and uh, want you to feel at home, want you to feel uh, welcomed here and uh, at Addy. Uh, we just finished the book of First Peter last week, and as we've been talking about, we're going to go through First and Second Peter. So today's a great day to be here, a great day to be in church. Every day really is a great day to be in church, right? Like we could just start having services Monday through Sunday. Uh, everybody's looking at me like, um, I don't know. But to, every day is a great day to be before the Lord and to be in the company of other believers. And it's awesome. I'm glad you guys are here. I'm glad that we're here together. And uh, today's uh, verses that we're going to start into in the book of Second Peter, and I'm probably going to make a few mistakes in the next week or two referring to First Peter, uh, but we're going to be in Second Peter. And, uh, but some of the verses that we're going to look at, I believe are some of the greatest verses with some of the greatest promises in the Bible uh, for us today. Some of the greatest verses with some of the greatest promises in the Bible. And uh, I enjoy uh, looking at this. It's some of my favorite verses for sure. And, um, you know, the, in Ephesians, Paul says to the church, he says, the leadership job is to essentially equip the saints for the work of ministry. And in 2 Peter, 2 Peter is stuffed full of these biblical truths uh, that we can encourage one another with, that we can encourage you with, that you can encourage one another with, that are really, really transformative in our lives. Uh, that's what we're really looking for. If we're honest, and we're honest with ourselves and with one another, we'll say that we're looking, we're looking for direction, we're looking for God's promises. We're looking for all those things that are really transform us from where we are at right now. Is it this thing? I'll take ownership for that. It's the cord, she says. There we go. Uh, we're looking for all of those things that really transform us from where we are uh, to where we need to go. And uh, that's all part of growth. Like, what's that next step? What's that next level? Uh, what is God doing in my life or in the lives of uh, the people around me, the, in my family, people around me in my community, in the lives of uh, my church, that's going to take us to the next level? And it's that desire that we have or that we should have to grow and to continue to mature that, that really should spur us as it is, uh, and we should spur one another, the Bible says, um, to, to dive in deeper and deeper and deeper into God's Word. So what are those things? Um, how does it play out? How does it work out? You know, uh, um, we're going to let Second Peter actually kind of give his own introduction. So here we go. We'll just dive right into it. Open your Bibles, if you will. Second Peter chapter 1. I was going to say a few more things. For the sake of time, maybe I'll trim that short. But 2 Peter chapter 1 starts off and he says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. A bonds, <clears throat> Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. 
Peter starts off by describing himself in three, actually kind of four ways, if you will. The first one is he calls himself Simon Peter. Simon, his given Jewish name. Uh, Peter, his Jesus-given name, you could say it that way. Jesus changes uh, Peter's name. Matthew 16 gives us a great account. 16, 16, Jesus says, Simon Peter, <clears throat> or Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, replying to Jesus' question of, Who do you say that I am? Who do you believe that I am? We've heard about what everybody else thinks, and some are really unsure, and some are not quite so sure. And we know what the religious establishment's kind of thinking of Jesus at this point in the Gospel of Matthew. But Jesus wants to know, he wants to make it personal, so he asked Peter, Who do you say? Who do you say that I am? And Simon answered with that famous line, <clears throat> famous line, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him in verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. That's pretty spectacular when you stop and break that down. Like, you didn't get this from your neighbor. You didn't pick this up from mom and dad. You didn't read it in the paper. You got the revelation of who I am, Simon, straight from the Father. That was a pretty remarkable statement to be made in that time. Jesus goes on to say, and, and <clears throat> I also say that you are Peter. This is where he changes his name. And on this rock, on this confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Peter's careful to describe himself in this manner and in this way with a purpose. He goes on to say, hey, I'm a, a bond servant. He calls himself a bond servant right there. Second description that he gives himself, a bond servant. In the Greek, that's the doulos, the one that brought, that was bought in the marketplace to serve the owner. Uh, do you know that historians believe that as many as a third of the population at this time that this was written, a third of the known population were bond servants. One out of every three people were obligated, were indebted to, were the, we would see it, and it's a different idea of slavery than what we have going back to the Civil War era. Uh, not that type of slavery, but they were indebted to. They were linked to these people that uh, were their owners in that sense. And it's interesting that Peter uses that terminology. He uses that terminology. He starts out where he was to where he is as far as a bondservant and uses himself as an example. Peter's revealing his view of the redemptive work of Jesus in his life. In his life. And it's a positional statement saying, hey, I'm, I'm now a bondservant to Jesus. There's no, there's no changing that. This is like a life thing. This is a forever thing. I'm a bondservant to Jesus. It's a positional statement that he says about himself and a positional statement that he says in regard to Christ. But he also includes this one at the end. He calls himself an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, an apostle is one that was sent on a mission, one whom God has sent 
on an errand with a message. An apostle is accountable to a sender and carries the authority of a sender. And apostleship is an office that the apostle holds. That's how Peter describes himself at the end. Uh, we see this actually, um, so there's some qualifications actually to be an apostle. Um, we won't go there, but for the sake of time in Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26, Peter is uh, talking about choosing a new apostle. Obviously, Judas at that time had uh, betrayed Christ, had, uh, was, was filled with guilt, but not remorse that would lead to repentance. So he took the money back, tossed it in. They said, hey, we don't want it. Uh, he ended up hanging himself, and now they're down to 11. And the apostles thought, hey, we, we need to choose somebody. We need to choose somebody to take Judas' position here in the 12. There's actually four basic categories that these candidates needed, if you will. Uh, one, they needed to be with Jesus during his whole three years of ministry. The 12 were not the only people that followed Jesus in his three years of ministry. They were the 12 closest but not the 12 only. Number two, they need to be an eyewitness of Jesus' baptism uh, and his heavenly Father's validation of Jesus' ministry. Three, to hold the office of an apostle, to, you had to have heard Jesus' life-changing teachings and witness his healings and miracles. And four, maybe perhaps the most important one, I think, is to have witnessed Jesus' death, burial, and the resurrected Jesus. Like, you had to be there, see it, experience it. Um, there's a lot that goes with that. We could unpack that at a different time. But Peter uses this term to say, hey, this is who God has created me to be. This is who I was. This is who I am now. Positionally, I'm a bondservant, but I'm also an apostle. God chose me. He said, come follow me. We talked about that in some of the the last conversation, conversation that Jesus and Peter ever had dealt with following him. So after self-identifying uh, here, he goes on to say in verse 1, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Peter starts off strong here to build a relational bridge to say this, is that <clears throat> however you want to see me, you want to see me as the, uh, the, the Simon Peter? You want to see me as the bondservant? Or you want to see me as the apostle? See me this way. See me that we're all in it together. We all have this like precious faith, he says. And he uses the same word. He picks up on the same theme that he has in First Peter, in the first letter, this idea of what, the things that are precious to God. And so our faith... His faith, the faith that we have as Christ's followers, is precious, is precious. It's of high value to God. Never underestimate that. Never take that for granted. Oftentimes it's easy for us to take it for granted because honestly, most of the time, most of your day-to-day -day, uh, living, most of my day-to-day -day living, we're not under the pressure uh, personally, maybe not yet, <laughs> we're not under the pressure to make a decision and to contemplate how precious our faith is. But the day might come. So take these words to heart as Peter says to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Kind of tying together, that, making a statement here that Jesus is God. That he and the Father are one. 
and the fact that our faith only comes, only comes through Christ. In other words, um, in other words, he might be saying this, welcome to all that have believed as we've believed and anyone that has trusted Jesus as Savior and continues in that faith. So what did that faith look like? What did that, if you kind of run down through the events of the Gospels, what did that faith look like? I'll give you a few ideas, some ideas that popped into my head. It's uh, leave your job and follow me faith. That's what Peter's talking about. That's what he did. It's trust in me faith. It's water to wine faith. It's never thirst again faith. It's water walking faith. It's feeding the masses faith. It's healing faith. It's casting out demons faith. All these things found in the Gospels. It's raising the dead faith, sacrificial living faith, sharing faith, trusting in God's good plan faith, because ultimately it's eternal faith. And it's founded on God's own faithfulness towards us, as in the Thomas Chisholm poem that he wrote in 1923, the third verse of popular hymn. Pardon for sin. This is what kind of faith it is. It's pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. And it's this. It's strength for today and it's a bright hope for when? Bright hope for tomorrow type of faith. His blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. That's the type of faith. Not all encompassing. I'm sure we could continue that list that I rattled off. But that's the type of faith, in essence, that Peter's talking about. And he continues with, I believe, some of the deepest, most impactful, trust-building, life-changing verses in the Bible. Look at verse 2, where he says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who's called us by glory and virtue, by which you have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. should underline that in your Bible. That word precious keeps popping up. That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Let's unpack these for a while. The majority of where we're going to go is right here. I really wanted to get all the way through chapter 1. It's not going to happen. And so we'll pick it back. Wherever we stop, we'll pick it back up there next week. But... Uh, this idea of grace and peace is a customary uh, greeting in that first century, uh, customary greeting from Peter and others, obviously the Apostle Paul, uh, New Testament writers, but there are some profound truths buried in the ordinary here that's good that we take a look at. Uh, here's the obvious. If you don't have grace and peace in your life as a believer or as not a non-believer, really, if you don't have grace and peace in your life, you ain't got much. Like, that's just obvious. Uh, some of the most troubled people that I know, some of the most pained people that I know, some of the people with the greatest health issues that I know, ulcers and the like, uh, some of the most uh, stressed out people that I know have no grace and peace in their life, or very, very little, not much to measure. Grace and peace are important. If we don't have grace and peace in our lives, we don't have much. 
It's not of uh, grace and peace are not standalone, uh, just standalone aspects of our faith. Peter specifically places them together by saying this: "Be multiplied in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord." So here's one of the things I want to make sure that we understand today: is we have achievable, we have achievable and growing grace and peace. Some people think that you can't, you can't have like you. It's impossible. Life's just not peaceful, so they just live in the chaos. I don't think that that's what the Bible says. I think that Peter's saying here is that grace and peace are 100% achievable. 100% achievable. One, there are aspects of our faith that are increasing. That's the idea of the word there, multiplied. They're increasing. And the idea of being multiplied to you. That's for you. That's for me. They're obtainable. There's something that is a, should be a part of our lives, that must be a part of our lives in following Christ. And they're all achieved in the learning, or as Peter puts it, in the knowledge of Jesus. In the knowledge of Jesus. That's a key theme in Second Peter here in chapter 1. Second thing is, is that we have, <clears throat> we have all we need to live a godly life through the knowledge of Jesus. Verse 3, I think, is one of the greatest verses in the Bible. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who calls us by glory and virtue. We have all we need. That's hard to comprehend sometimes. Because I know, and I don't think I'm any different than anybody else, I don't feel like I have all I need. I don't feel like I have, I'm tempted to think that I don't have what I need in my relationship with Christ. Do I? Don't I? And so there's always this reach. There's always this curiosity. There's always this temptation to, to reach outside of that relationship. But the Bible says, and I think is clear, is one of the greatest verses in the Bible, we have all we need in our knowledge and relationship with Jesus Knowing God and His divine power, I think, is the key to understanding ourselves, understanding, obviously, who God is first and who Christ is, but it's the key to understanding ourselves in answering life's four biggest questions. Who am I? How did I get here? Why am I here? And where am I going when I leave? Every person has to come into some sort of mesh, some sort of intersection with those questions in life. Who am I? How did I get here? Why am I here? And what's going to happen when I die? Hey, the death rate's certain, 100%. Right? The Bible gives us like two exceptions. And Jesus isn't one of them. So, it's 100%. Nobody walks out of here, nobody walks off this planet without experiencing death. What happens next? What happens next? Our world is at a, uh, running a totally, like a 180 degree different take on how to approach these questions with a totally different premise and a starting point. Taken right off of uh, Wikipedia's fun page, Take a look at um, <laughs> take a look at what I'm going to read you something about human science because really answering those four questions is what the attempt is when it comes to human science. 
Human science, or the human sciences, plural, studied, studies the philosophical, biological, social, and cultural aspects of human life. Human science aims to expand our understanding of the human world through a broad interdisciplinary approach. It encompasses a wide range of fields, including history, philosophy, sociology, psychology, evolutionary biology, biochemistry, neurosciences, folkloristics, never heard of that before, but uh, I think I know where they're going with it, anthropology, and anthropology. It's the study of the interpretation of the experiences, activities, constructs, and artifacts associated with human beings. The study of the human sciences attempts to expand and enlighten the human being's knowledge of their existence. Whoa. Uh, it's interrelationship with other species and systems and the development of artifacts to perpetuate the human expression and thought. It's the study of human phenomena. I think maybe it's highlighted. Is it highlighted on the screen, the last part? Is, it, is this up there? Okay, good. Take note of the last couple sentences. The study of the human experience is historical and current in nature. It requires the evaluation and interpretation of the historic human experience and the analysis of current human activity to gain an understanding of human phenomena and to project the outlines of human evolution. Human science is the objective informed critique of human existence and how it relates to reality. That's quite a statement. That's quite a godless statement, really. The sad reality is, is that uh, in society, we're willing to explore nearly every avenue of knowledge despite, as they say here, its evolutionary premise, before we study and understand what Peter calls the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. The knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. I'm trying to set up a contrast. This is where the world's at. Like Wikipedia, I was, I was talking to Dave on the phone last night. When I was young, my parents bought the full set of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Remember that? I know because most of them were lodged in my room in the closet. Took up a lot of space. But I'm not bitter about that. Um... The reality is, is that that was the standard for the day when I was in school. That was the standard for the day of, of how to do research papers, where you would find your information, so on and so forth. Now it's all digital. Now it's all at the snap of a click of the mouse, you know, and you can find all the same information. But this is the premise by which the world approaches the four questions. Who am I? Uh, how did I get here? Why am I here? Where am I going I don't know if I got all four of them exactly right. Who am I? How did I get here? Why am I here? And what happens when I'm gone? This is how the world, this is how our society would want to try to answer some of those questions. And the reality is that they can't do it. I'm not saying that all human science is bad. Don't, don't hear the wrong thing. I'm not saying that science is bad at all. I'm saying that clearly our culture comes from a specific viewpoint and starts at a, at, with a specific premise to try to answer those questions, and I think that premise uh, is not so good. I, that's a light way to say it. I think that uh, that premise, what they're calling here the, or here, the theory of evolution, is the wide gate that leads to destruction. I think it's consistent with what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.1, where he said, Now the Spirit expressively says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, 
giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, and having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. I think that's where that perspective comes from. Because I think science is awesome. I think science is great. I think science explains, ex- helps explain who God is. I think that it reaffirms what the Bible says. We live in a culture that doesn't believe that. We live in a culture that doesn't adhere to that, that doesn't teach from that perspective anymore, and doesn't raise its kids from that perspective. The Word of God gives us perfect answers, solid proof, and complete objective truth, not Wikipedia. The Bible gives us these things. It gives us the answers to the most important questions that everybody is going to have to answer. Everybody's going to have to face. Everybody's going to have to deal with at some point. Not only that, but as believers, we have, as Peter explains, all that we need. We have all that we need. Like I said, that's not to exclude uh, good science. But we have all that we need in a relationship. Uh, Wasn't that true of Adam and Eve? Before they fell in sin? Didn't Adam and Eve have all that they needed? Like, I'm looking at all the Bible scholars in front of me here. Anybody that knows anything about Genesis? Didn't Adam and Eve have all that they needed? Tell me if I'm wrong. Like, they had every possible thing created perfectly. They were created perfectly. We were talking the other night about this idea that, or a while back, that can you imagine their genetic makeup? Can you imagine uh, getting a slice of Adam and Eve's DNA and how absolutely perfect unstained, unchanged, created absolutely 100% dynamic, no problems at all. They had everything they needed, everything they could ever possibly want, uh, everything. Genesis tells us that, that they had all of that. Uh, Yet they were tempted when Satan appealed to their desire for something that they didn't have. That appeal was a smokescreen and demonic in nature. And their loss, in a way, their loss, in a way, becomes our gain. That's what, uh, you see that in the book of Hebrews a lot. Their loss, in a way, becomes our gain, because in <clears throat> with our gain, uh, we get the gain in Christ. And we get this idea that Peter talks about, uh, we're precious, promised partakers of God's divine nature. In a way, in a way, we can kind of say Adam and Eve had a bit of that divine nature because they were created perfectly we're recreated perfectly in christ because we get to partake as peter says right here in chapter one in god's divine nature divine nature we partake in god's divine nature as we live for and in jesus by the indwelling power comfort conviction and the anointing of the holy spirit Uh, joel 225 through 32 is a wonderful passage that kind of uh, is quoted by Peter, the same author of this book, quoted by Peter, but it's a wonderful passage that talks about how in the latter days, how God's going to bring great restoration, how he's going to pour out his spirit. The part that Peter quotes in one of his very first sermons is he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. That was unheard of. That was unthought of in his day. Yet here we see just a few decades later, talking to people all over the known world, talking to Christians, and he says, as his divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. 
who has called us by glory and virtue. So we have this wonderful example, this call on the name of the Lord example out of Joel 2 that is pro- basically prophesies exactly what my point is, is that we get to partake in God's divine nature. Anybody that would call on the name of the Lord gets to participate, gets to partake in, the word says, God's divine nature. The fourth thing is, is that we've escaped from the prison of corruptness. Isn't it great to know that we can have uh, an escape out of the bonds of sin? That we don't have to be tied down? Like in Christ, you're you're free. We have all we need to be free. We have all we need to right the ship, so to speak, or to escape corrupt living, to escape from a, a life of sin. We have all we need to to put away the old thought patterns, the old ways of thinking, things that don't line up with God's word, things that aren't consistent with his nature, things that aren't consistent with the commands that he gives us. So all of that is to be put away. All of that is to be, to, to, to be tossed away and to simply live according to and in the power of God's divine nature. So how does that look? What does that mean? What does that mean for fathers? What does that mean for, for husbands who, who have been remiss in their duties of leading the family? It's time to rise up, put anything that's going cross-grain from the nature of God, put it all away, flush it down the toilet, repent of it as sin, actually, is the best way to put it. Do away with that, turn, and embrace God's plan for your life. I, 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 and it does, don't worry about the concept any consequences or reactions beyond that. If any possible thing is, is, that's out there is, is a hindrance to what God has called us to do, men, then we're already defeated. We're not called to live a defeated life. And we're not embracing the divine nature that's implanted in us as Christ's followers through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the fear that's in our head is really a smokescreen. The possibilities that are out there, the possibilities that are out there that somehow either you're going to miss something so, or you're going to, to inquire, <coughs> you know, there's going to be some heavy thing that happens. Those are just distractions to keep us from doing what God's called us to do. How does it play out for wives? How does it play out for young people? How does it play out for, you know, uh, opportunities in school. Hey, I'll tell you something. I was one of those kids that really struggled as a, as a young, as, you know, junior high, high school age. Grew up going to church. Uh, grew up, you know, in the faith, as it were. But my intersections in school sometimes were pretty dicey. And most of the time it was easy for, easier for me. I'm not talking about grades, although that's a whole other story. But, uh, the intersections that I had, especially, I was thinking about this in, in science class. Uh, our science teacher was a hardcore believer in evolution. And it made it really hard for me as a high schooler to get through that class. And my route to survive was to kind of keep my head down and not make any waves. I regret that. Now I regret that. I regret that they're probably, because here's the reality. Here's the reality. We have all that we need 
to live a godly life. You know what I had and I did not utilize at the time? I had a whole group of friends that were strong believers, stronger than me. I had a group of friends, many of which came to this church at the time, that did stand up, that did take a stand and say, well, it's just a theory. Mr. Peterson, let's not forget, it's just a theory. It's just a theory. It's a theory of evolution. It's not the facts of evolution, right? And I regret, I regret as a now, times when I was in my sophomore and junior year, that I didn't stand on this verse, that his divine power has given to me all things that pertain to life and godliness. You don't have to fear. You don't have to fret over what may or may not be. God's given you an opportunity to partake of his divine nature and to be empowered by his divine power. They work hand in glove. I want to ask this question. That's how it was a fitting. It's a short and simple statement. But how much of Christian living, men, ladies, young people, how much of Christian living really boils down to this simple statement that we are to be who you are in Jesus. If we be who we are in Jesus, if we can understand and grab onto that simple statement, that simple sta- the concept, not always simple to live out, not always easy. I'm not going to fool anybody. It's not always easy to live that out. But the reality is, is we're called to be who we are in Christ. That's huge. That has huge implications in our life. That has huge implications in the areas where you struggle, where I struggle. That has huge implications overcoming fear and doubt and worry. That has huge implications for your future as a Christ follower. And it has massive implications, parents, for how you raise your kids. Massive implications for how you can change the trajectory of your family by simply teaching your kids to be who they are as Christ followers. Be who you are as Christ followers. Look it up in the Bible. See what the Bible says about what it means to be a Christ follower, what it looks like, how it feels, how the responses are, how the directions are, where it goes, who we're trusting, who we're not trusting, who we're following after, what we're leaving behind. Massive implications for families. You want to change the direction of your family? You want to change the direction of your marriage? You want to change the direction of your community? Be who you are in Christ. It can't get any simpler to state it than that. And it's a challenge. I get it. Don't be afraid of the challenge. One of the reasons why we need one another, where there's a, what I called last week this, I believe, a, a godly interdependence is because this is the particular statement that we can encourage one another with on an everyday basis. Hey, just, just be who you are in Christ. Don't, you, don't, you don't need to struggle with that. What does the Bible say? Be who you are in Christ. Right? So we need to be encouraging people with, with that type of mentality. Peter goes on to say, and he goes on to tie some truths of character to this thing. He says in verse 5, but also for this very reason, so tying it all together, the idea that we're 
have all we need, that we're uh, partakers of God's divine nature, that we've escaped the prison of corruptness with all of that, but also for this very reason, he says, giving all diligence to your faith, <clears throat> add to your faith virtue, excuse me, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. To start with, I want to say, in regard to all of these character qualities, these are all character traits of God's divine nature in you. In you. And it might be, you might be sitting there thinking, I'm not real high. I, you know, this one over here, I don't have so much of. Or this one over here, you know, uh, I, I've, 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 I've put myself, I get it, I've put myself out there. I've tried to be loving. I've tried to be, have brotherly kindness and I've gotten ran over. I understand those issues. I understand those struggles and I understand why people pull back more than they push forward into relationships with one another. You never see. The only uh, admonition I think in the word to pull back is when it comes to be separate from sin. Not separate from relationships with other believers. And it's tough and it's dicey and it's difficult. But we need to keep pressing forward pressing forward these character traits are part of god's divine nature god's divine nature that we partake of is fueled by his divine power in us as we're propelled through life the basis for adding this spiritual fruit in our character is that little phrase giving diligence giving diligence give diligence peter says Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and so on and so forth. So the starting line is this idea that uh, just like you would teach your kids to brush their teeth every night before bed, you've got to be diligent about brushing your teeth. You've got to be serious about your taking care of your teeth. Are we serious about taking care of our spiritual walk? Are we sp- serious about, are we giving all diligence to our character the very character of god the divine nature of god that is within us there's an active part for us as well and that's to be diligent about it to seek it out in verse 8 and 9 have actually a potential for bringing some uh, some difficulty perhaps for some i don't know i think it's a good thing where he says peter says in verse 8 for if these things are yours and abound you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. So there's a promise that you're not going to be, that you're going to be fruitful. You're not going to be barren in your character, in the knowledge of who Jesus is. The danger is, though, uh, Peter's concern for the church is that they, we'd, they would slide away from that, that they would back away from that, that they wouldn't be diligent about these things. And so his, his warning, his, his concern, if you will, is, hey, hey, stay pressing forward. Keep moving forward. Don't back off 
of the things of God. Don't back away from His divine character in you. You're going to make yourself barren. You're going to make yourself unfruitful. I'll tell you what, if you own an orchard and you have a tree that's unfruitful, out comes the old still 44 and it gets cut off six inches from the ground. It's taken up space. It's taken up nutrients. It's taken up water. Don't be unfruitful. And the way to be unfruitful is to back away from these things. No, he says, be fruitful. Be fruitful. Peter's concern for the church is paramount, and he wants the church to be fruitful, to increase, to grow. And he wants the church to grow in two ways, I believe. And I think this is true, and I want to stress this for here today. Because I believe we want it here too, the same dynamic. We want to grow in two ways. We want to grow in width and in depth. Width meaning people, meaning broadening out, meaning, meaning adding more people to our number, means reaching out and evangelizing people that you come in contact with, sharing with them in the faith, encouraging them to be believers, encouraging them to be in fellowship, encouraging those that are believers that are, have kind of drifted off into kind of this lone ranger mentality that we don't need church and we don't need, you know, definitely don't need to get together, encouraging those back into the fold, encouraging people on the fringe in that way. So with meaning adding to our numbers in a very organic way, but also depth. When I say depth, I say maturity. Depth means there's maturity there in the lives of the believers. And there's maturity as a church. We should be growing in maturity, even adding. You're going to add people that are new or non-believers even at times. You're going to add them to definitely raising up these little kids, you know, the little ones that are downstairs. So that's all part of it. But growing in width and in depth, Peter has a concern here, and he's saying, don't back away. Don't back away as an individual, as a marriage, as a family, or as a community. These dynamics can play out, and we can be barren and unfruitful if we're backing away. But if we're pressing forward, if we're leaning into God, if we're, if we're embracing what the Word says on a regular basis and we're taking it in and we're serving out with what we're taking in and we're, we're giving out and being a blessing to people, we'll be, that's what I mean by pressing forward. I was watching last night. <coughs> I had like, I don't know, 40 minutes. So I'm thumbing through the channels. It's like, oh, rugby's on. I love rugby. If there's one game that I always have wanted to play and have never played, it's a game of rugby. And it, so, and it's so, so, I don't know. I don't know a lot about rugby. I'm still trying to get the old English lingo because when they say stuff and with that English accent, I'm trying to figure out what they're talking about. But <clears throat> there's an aspect of rugby where they end up in what they call a uh, scrum. And so you have all these men and they kind of get down in this, you know, all four stance and, and both teams... And you got the you got the ref out on one side, and you have one player from one team on the other side, and he has the ball. But all these men get down, and they say, "Sit!" And the guys kind of hunch down, and then the ref, in his English accent, says, "Bind!" And then they really get down, and then the guy throws the ball in, and all of these men are just like <laughs> pressing forward. It's the best part of rugby. I love it. 
and I really get excited about it. And I should have put a clip on the, so you'd know what I'm talking about. And all the ladies are saying, really, do we have to talk about rugby? Um, when I say press in about spiritual matters, this idea of these rugby players and their intensity, their intensity to win that battle right then and there, to win that, to get the push, because essentially when they start pushing on one another, that, that mass of men is going to move left or right. And there's a ball in there, and they're all trying to, the guys in the very middle, they're trying to kick that ball back their way. Whoever ends up with the ball, it's kind of a jump ball, I guess you would call for rugby. But whoever gets that ball, then they get it, and then they can go and try to score. So there's this huge, huge push by giant men to have their way, to push forward. And when I say that we need to lean into and push into the things of God, that's what I'm talking about. You want to know what mental pictures in my mind? That's it. Men, that we have to press forward. Ladies, we have to press forward into the things of God. Young people, you have to press forward into the things of God. Like no time ever before will there be an onslaught on our younger people. Let's just face it and call it what it is. The pressures that they face today are way past anything that I ever experienced. The understandings and the social norms that are out there for, people's young, for the young people today are just wild compared to even when I was your age. So, parents, we have to be on our toes helping our kids out. Peter's calling on the church. And he's calling the church to not lose out. To not go blind and experience memory loss. That's kind of that piece there. If I can get back to it. The last piece of that, he says, For he who lacks in these things is short-sighted, bad eyesight, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. We cannot afford to be short-sighted in our faith and to have memory loss about what Christ has done for us. That's what Peter's saying. Don't forget. Don't forget. That's why we're here to remind. Next week's uh, lesson's going to be all about reminding one another. That's Peter's big theme as he rolls into the next sets of verses. Is remind, 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 remind. But he says we can't go blind and experience memory loss when it comes to who I am and what I'm doing and who Jesus is. The promises are sh a sure foundation with eternal blessings. We'll leave the last couple of verses. Therefore, verse 10, he says, Peter says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent. So he says, be diligent, be even more diligent in verse 10 to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The promises of being diligent about our faith, the promises of having a good footing on a solid path, being abundant. This is not a picture of somebody that enters into eternity kicking and screaming. This is not a picture. The opposite is, is you know, somebody that's just kind of like really reluctant and just decides to just, you know, make a decision to go forward, you know, but ah, 
you know, I'm, I, don't, I, don't really, I don't really want to. That's not the picture that Peter says is here. The picture that Peter's talking about is a, is a massive rush forward. Like, no, this is what we want. This is where we're going. And we're not going to be denied in that, in a sense. He's not saying that, I suppose, that God doesn't have the power to deny them eternal life. But he doesn't give this reluctant picture of somebody that's just dragging their feet into eternity. He gives this picture of somebody that won't stumble. You're not going to stumble. We have to be even more diligent, he says, in this matter. To understand what our call is and our election into the body of Christ. We have to understand these things. We have to embrace them. We have to study them. We have to, 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 to engage in the word in a way that, that it makes sense to us. Don't take my word for it. Dive into the Bible for yourself. I mean, I think it's good that we hear one another. But you have to know for yourself whether you're saved. You have to know for yourself what God's called you to do. And then let's just go do it. Let's just get it done. Let's just step on out. Go forward. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly. Abundantly. I was thinking of this in this terms, kind of kind of maybe an uh, interesting picture into this idea. <clears throat> I don't know that I've really kind of ironed it all out even in my own mind, but I'll just throw it out there, is that um, in the Gospels we're given the idea that, that the, the way into heaven is a narrow gate, which I believe is true. It's a narrow entrance. And the idea is there that it's just not like you just can't get there from any aspect or belief or faith. It's not all faiths lead to heaven. It's a narrow gate through Christ and in Christ and entrusting Christ is then that pathway walked and from the perspective then that is narrow because many won't embrace that I think that well or I'm wondering if well on one way it looks narrow and things that are narrow are often on the edge a little dangerous and a little unsure and a little uncertain I think that in another way, Peter is saying it's abundant because the path might be, be narrow, but the assurity, the assurity is wide. The confidence that we can have is wide. And abund the, an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly. That there's an abundance of confidence. And on one hand, it might look like we're walking this narrow path, and we are but from a different vantage point, a different angle, maybe from a heavenly perspective, it's actually a wide path where we can have confidence of footing. We can have confidence of understanding. We can have confidence of relationship, not because of what we're doing, not because of who we are, because as, as we examine those four questions that we talked about, then we see who Christ is. And then we see how we fit into who Christ is and what he's called us to do and where he's taking us as individuals, as couples, as families, as a community of faith. And in that way, it's, it's really abundant. It's really fruitful. It's really fun. 
It's awesome. It's awesome to get together. And if somebody will go downstairs and get the people, uh, Katie and the other teachers that are downstairs, because we're going to go to communion from here. Will somebody do that for me? Thank you, David. Uh, we had an opportunity um, Friday to get together and talk ministry with one of our local nonprofit ministries, the Addy Rescue Mission. It is fun to sit and talk with them about ministry. It's fun to sit and dream with them. It was a blast, wasn't it fun? Uh, they have probably one of the, the, the uh, tightest <laughs> margins probably of any ministry that I know. And God has blessed them abundantly. They serve, this kind of floored me, and I only live a couple miles from it. And mom, you help out there. And Tammy does too. They serve on the average 350 plus people a week with food. This all happens right here, just a mile down the road. 350 people a week on average roll through those, that tiny little building and come out blessed with food. What's amazing, though, is it's not about, in our meeting, it's not about how tough things are there. It's not, a, although we did talk about, hey, how are some ways where, you know, that we could uh, brainstorm with you and, and help develop a smoother flow. That's kind of where it went. But it was really, it was always about, always, always, always about being a blessing to people. Always looking for the opportunity to pray with people. Always looking for an, an avenue to share the gospel with people. And so they, for all the years they've been open, they've resisted any government help except for one program, which is the least of all that they give out. And every year, every year, they get this kind of over-the-bow warning, well, you guys shouldn't really be doing that because, you know, you're a Christian organization. You really shouldn't be getting government funding. Take it away. We'll do without it. They never have. <laughs> They've never taken it away. And it's an amazing aspect and something I believe that, that wholeheartedly as a, as a fellowship, we should be, and we give, you know, we support the mission, we support it financially, physically, you name it. I think it's an actual avenue where we can engage even more so, even more so, especially with the days that we're entering into. And it was a blast to sit and talk with them. It was so much fun to sit and talk to them about ministry and where things are going. What do they see is out there in the next five to ten years for them? And what do we see as, you know, possibilities for us? And how can we make our bonds of ministry even stronger being two ministries so close together here? It's fun. It's fun. I think that that's kind of the look, if you will, that Peter was trying to put out there. Hey, be careful. Be diligent. Be diligent. But keep adding the things, the character traits of God into our life and look for opportunities to be a blessing. As a church, that's what, and especially the leadership, that's really where we're at. We're looking for opportunities to be a blessing. Because how can we increase the kingdom of God? How can we expand the kingdom of God? How can we share Jesus with people around us? Near, far, uh, close, uh, right next door, around the world. Doesn't matter. We're just looking for opportunities. We're looking for opportunities for this to be abundant. David's going to come and lead us in communion. And uh, yeah, he'll just close us in prayer as well. I encourage you to come back next week. We'll finish chapter one. Maybe get into chapter two a little bit. But uh, keep pressing forward in your faith.
Keep pressing forward in your faith. If I can say anything, it's just to keep pressing into who Christ is.